0: Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. Your praise isn't even based on God's performance, but it is established on the reality that God is faithful. And so I will bless the Lord at all times because He is faithful at all times. Do we long for Him? Do we hunger and thirst? For his presence. Do we have a thirsty soul? Amen. Amen. Psalms 42 while you're standing. verses one through five. Psalmist writes As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. Verse 5 says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Amen. I want to just talk for the next little bit on this title, The Thirsty Soul. The Thirsty Soul. I wonder if you would just lift up your voice with me and help me pray right now. Father, we love you. God, what a privilege and honor it is to be in your house, God. We just invite you in right now. We invite your presence into this place, God. I pray, Lord, for your word to go forth today. Let it find good soil in this place, God. Let us, God, be mindful that you're here today, God, and let everything that we do, I pray that it bring you glory and honor and praise. Let your anointing be upon your word today, and we give you glory in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated today. Verse five. The psalmist he, uh, he he starts to have an argument with himself, and he asks himself some questions, and he says, "Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me?" Have you ever have you ever had an argument with yourself? <laughs> Have you ever had an argument with yourself concerning God? I mean, have you ever have you ever had that moment where your mind knows what is right and what is good, but all you've got in your soul is just tears. Have you ever been there before? I, I love that he I love that he argues with himself right with himself right here. Why are you so downcast on oh my soul? He says, put, put your hope in God. It, it's, it, it will get better. But it's, I, I love that portion of the scripture, but the focus that I want to, uh, to have this morning is actually on the first couple of verses. That's where I want us to concentrate on. The Bible says, basically, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Um, I believe I shared with this story with some of you. You might have seen it on, um, on social media, but uh, Easton here recently has bought a new pair of shoes, and he bought them. Uh, he, uh, he's, he fell in love, and I, I, I don't lose that term loosely. He fell in love <laughs> with a pair of shoes. Uh, I made the mistake of letting him borrow my phone, and I have this, this app on there, this And it's just kind of a quick thing to a certain brand of, uh, and it's not just shoes, it's clothing and all this other stuff, but he found that app and he just started looking and he saw the section where it said, kids at. And so he knew that that applied to him, so he went and scrolled and yeah, he finds probably one of the most expensive pair of shoes and I said, I'm not buying those shoes for you. No, sir. And because, you know, kids, they they, especially young kids, I mean... Let's wait till you're 20. Then I'll buy you shoes or something, because then you'll be in them for at least 20 years. <laughs> you know, kids, they're just, just growing out of stuff just right and left. We can't, we can't keep up with it. And so we said, all right, you, you get to save up your own money, and you get to buy these shoes. And so he somewhat worked and somewhat you know, bargained with people and sweet-talked people and mooched money and did whatever he possibly could to raise up this money so that he could uh, he could save it up and I think I shared this with you that he uh, I said hey I know these shoes are this but you got to remember taxes and I tried to explain to him tax and he's like he's like dad I'm you and mom should be good for that (laughs) yeah six years old and tax exempt but uh, so so I'm dealing with that uh, But anyways, he saved up his money, and we bought them online, so we used our debit card to to purchase them, and we had his cash saved aside, and we are just like, we'll get that later. Well, it's been like weeks, and I still don't know that we've we've put it in our bank account, and so he saw it the other day, and he's like, hey, I still have money. And we're like, oh, no, you don't. No, sir. He even tried to get out of that and get some more money, but he wanted these shoes so bad that it was it was all he could think about and 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 uh, it it was all he could do it it was just on his mind have you ever wanted something so badly that that's all you could think about you just thought about it every time you woke up you thought about it and you would do anything to get it you just craved it. it 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 consumed all of your thinking Have you ever wanted something like that of course we all have And David writes, he says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now, a lot of times we read this scripture. We're familiar with this portion of scripture. Uh, We see it plastered all over the place. We see it plastered on T-shirts, and it might be on your wall at home, and and that's fine. But a lot of times what we do in Christianity at large... Is is we take this verse and verses like this and we we tend to dress them up a little bit And what I mean by that is we get a we get we get a picture of a of a giant deer a a, a buck and we And it's got antlers all sprawled out and it's massive and it's a beautiful thing And then on the back of it or right up right below the deer we write in cursive as the deer pants for the water So pants my soul. And if you have that coffee cup, please don't judge me this morning. I'm not against your coffee cup. But here's why we have to be careful. Because this text isn't dressed up at all. It's it's not a cute verse. It's agonizing. He's basically saying like an animal that's dying because of a lack of water. That's where I find myself. When, when can I meet with God? When can I draw near again? David finds himself in complete agony desperately longing to be in God's presence again, longing to be walking in relationship again. And for whatever reason, he just can't seem to get there. And so we find him in frustration. He can't sleep at night. He's weeping and he's pleading and he's recalling Scripture that he knows that God is faithful and he's wrestling with himself to know God deeper than he does. It's not a very cute verse. In fact, it's very agonizing. It's horrible. It doesn't look like a t-shirt verse at all. It doesn't look like a coffee cup verse. It doesn't look like a Facebook post. The writer is in agony, desperate for God. Look over at Psalm 63 in verse 1. He says, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul. Thirst for you, my flesh Faints for you. The New International Version uses the word yearns. Yearns. Now that's different from just wanting. Like you can want something and you're like, oh, I want that. Like I want that. Like that's what Easton did with the shoes. Like Easton really, really wanted those shoes, but I never heard him say, I yearn for those LeBron James shoes. <laughs> Dad, can I have those shoes? I'm yearning for them. My soul clings to them. I would probably get him some help if he said that honestly. I never heard him say that. You see, you can say, I want that, but yearning, I don't, I don't, the best way I can explain it to you is it's like a, it's like a groan, you have to have it. Says, My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. He goes on, My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me it's an interesting text because you don't you read it and 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 brother bishop you don't really know where to file this kind of text at You don't really know where to put it. And here's what I mean by that. There are passages in Scripture where where men encounter God, and and the emotion and the behavior is one of reverence. It's pure reverence. We find Isaiah. Isaiah sees God, and what does he say? He says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. And he literally falls on the ground. That's reverence. That's reverence. And then there are those other passages of Scripture where, uh, uh, where men appear to have this kind of friendship with God. We, we find where Abraham was known as the friend of God. So there are these texts that we find, and we know exactly where to put them. We know exactly where to file them. And then there are texts like this that you don't really know what to do with because it's not necessarily friendship, and it's not necessarily reverence either. Earnestly I seek you. My flesh longs for you. My soul clings to you. My lips speak of you. You find this, and you're like, okay, where where do I put this? What, What is this? Alright, let's leave David alone for just a few minutes. Habakkuk chapter 3. You can turn there if you want with me. Habakkuk 3:17. I like to look out and watch people try to find Habakkuk. <laughs> Habakkuk 3:17 says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail in the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. What an amazing portion of Scripture. And the reason I find this text so overwhelming Is it basically says this, I don't care what life throws at me. God be praised. So if I've got tons of food or if I have no food, God be praised. If I have a lot of money in the bank or I'm homeless, rejoice in the Lord. If everything's working well for me and I've got friends or I've got no friends, His name is to be praised. If someone likes my Facebook post or doesn't like my Facebook post, rejoice in the Lord. Somebody said amen. amen. To me, it goes along with another scripture. I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. You see, no no matter what's going on in life, on my good days, I will bless the Lord, and on my bad days, I will bless the Lord. It doesn't matter if everything's going smoothly, or if I'm barely hanging on, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. You see, here's the thing, your praise is not predicated on how you feel, or what's going on around you, Because you know as well as I do, uh, sometimes we don't feel like praising God. And it's not always that we find ourselves in a good circumstance. We understand that on this journey called life, there are hills and there are also valleys. And let me say this, your praise isn't even based on God's performance. But it is established on the reality that God is faithful. And so I will bless the Lord at all times because He is faithful at all times times come on why don't you just praise him just a little bit in this place today if you believe that this morning i will bless the lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth habakkuk 3 says yet i will rejoice it seems like there's no conditions on his love for the lord and i don't know how in the world that the, the prosperity guys deal with that text or or any other text in the Bible for that matter. I don't know how anyone can look at this text and and preach that if you follow Jesus, everything's going to go well. I really hope that happens in your life and I pray that that happens in your life. But if we're honest this morning, sometimes things are a little rough. Sometimes things are a little rocky. Uh, and and that's what we shouldn't do. I don't know how anyone can preach that if if you follow Jesus then everything's going to go well in your life because in in the end, Habakkuk goes, who cares how everything goes? Who cares how everything else goes? As long as you get God. That's the main thing. As long as you have God, who what, what matters, what else happens? It doesn't matter if I live to be 40 or 140. I will rejoice and I will praise the name of the Lord. You see, this is a this is a different kind of Christianity, isn't it? Because it seems like most of what we see has conditions, but not Habakkuk. Jump over to the New Testament with me. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, starting in verse 8, says, Indeed, I count everything as loss. Everybody say loss. loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now this is an interesting text. Paul is basically saying, He says, I pay attention to everything in my life and anything that robs me from Christ and knowing Christ deeply, whether it is morally sinful or morally neutral, he says, I get rid of it. It is gone. I absolutely get it. This is an interesting way to view life because he's sitting back and he's saying, right or wrong is the wrong question. The question is, does this get me more of Jesus or does this rob me of knowing who he is? Whether it's right or wrong isn't the question. That's what he's saying here. He goes, I look at all areas of my life and I count it as loss. I count it as rubbish. I count it as dung. So he's there. He's sitting back. He sits back and he goes, does does my wealth prevent me of knowing Jesus more? And if it does, he's saying, I need to start getting rid of some of this. Does my circle of friends prevent me from knowing him more? If so, then I've got to start cutting some out. Does this group of people that I run with rob me of my affections for Jesus? And if it does, I need to change some groups of people. And on and on we could go on here. I counted as rubbish. I counted as dung. I counted as lost. I gladly get rid of it so that I can have more of Him. Paul had a thirsty soul. Look at verse ten. Paul completely bo- blows me away with this verse, and I preached on this verse several times. He says that I may know Him. That I may know Him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let me tell you why I find this verse to be so compelling. You find the apostle Paul, who was one who wrote nearly two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul is the one who walked into a city and preach so powerfully and so effectively that the whole socioeconomic system of the city shifts, and people who make money from sinful endeavors they actually start a riot because of it. His handkerchief ha- has healed people. He, he he walks in a power and in an authority that not a lot of people walk in. And yet, what does he say in verse ten? He said, I want to know him. I want more of him. I'm thinking to myself, Brother Rice, Paul, I'll take half of what you got and I would die happy. I'll take half of your ministry and I'll be just fine. And he says, I want to know him. I'm thinking to myself, man, Paul, you're kind of greedy a little bit, aren't you? Don't you think? Shouldn't you be a little bit more content? Shouldn't you be happy with what you got? I think to myself, I've been preaching here for years and nobody's ever started a riot, not even a little one. Do you know how happy I would be if someone turned over a car outside of our church and set it on fire because the gospel was going forth? It has nothing to do with me just being a guy and liking to see stuff burn. It has nothing to do with that. <laughs> yeah, not what, don't turn over my car or anybody else's car in the church. This guy walks around in an unreal amount of peace. And you know what? He's unsatisfied. Paul says, More. I want more. I want more. It's like these men that I'm talking about here this morning. They want him and they get him and they experience him and they're, they're just elated. And the next day they're back at it. Again, I want more. Again, I want more. Again, again. It, it's, 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 it's why they, we find them saying some really insane things in the scripture. Like to find Paul saying to die is gain. Why he says because I get the fullness of him. I can't wait to die. How often have you heard somebody say that and you didn't call an ambulance or a cop or something? You didn't call someone to come help. This is an interesting character that we're discussing here this morning. All of these guys are. But listen, you can even step outside of the Bible because this isn't just a biblical thing, but it's honestly what's happened historically as people have encountered Jesus in the fullness of who he is. One songwriter wrote, one songwriter of our generation writes, God, I want you more than I want the answers. God, I want you more than I want the answers. You transcend the answers. Martin Luther says, Oh, I wish to devote my mouth and my heart to you. Do not forsake me, for if ever I should be on my own, I would easily wreck it all. So here's the point men basic men uh, biblically and historically they've yearned and they've longed and been in agony and they wanted the things of God with all of their might and all of their soul and all of their resources and all of their time and their passion and not only the M uh, not only them but look at what's going on in the universe Romans chapter 8. Romans eight nineteen says for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope so follow me here when sin entered into the world it's not just you and me that got broken the entire universe was fractured every star Every mountain, every planet, everything in the universe gets subjected and hard pressed. So in the, so the moment that sin comes in, death and decay has now entered into the universe. And God presses down and subjects the entire universe to this. Now, let's keep reading because this is very, very interesting. Verse 21 says that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So then there is a, there is a coming of time, a new earth where creation is not subjected to this anymore. And creation knows it creation is aware that there is coming a day where they will not be subjected and so look at what happens he says for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now so follow me here all of creation has been subjected by god Hard-pressed, forced uh, into futility, and they remember what it was like before the fall. And they know that there's coming a time where it won't be like this any longer. And so currently, right now, every tree, every mountain, every star is groaning and longing for Christ to return and remove the weight that they've been subjected to. So I say this, let the scientists say what they want uh, about why the wolf house. I think I know why it does. It remembers. It knows. It knows that there will be a time, and there once was a time, where this wasn't going to happen. And the trees creak in the wind and the grass that you'll mow and continue to mow. It, it, it longs, it groans in anticipation. It's longing for return. It knows something is wrong and they want it restored. All of creation groans. And this starts making sense when you look at the brokenness of even the physical world. We look at things like the, the the events that happen in our country, how many every single year there's a catastrophe with a hurricane or a tornado and the shifting of the earth. It's saying that the earth is being hard pressed and broken. It's frustrated. You start to understand a little bit more. It wants to be redeemed. It wants things whole back in order the way that they used to be. And not only the creation, but the Bible says we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So I have a question this morning. My question is not, have men biblically and historically longed deeply for the things of God? Have men biblically and historically paid any price to know Him deeply? That's not my question. And my question is not about whether or not creation groans because the Bible just says that it does. My question is, do we groan and long and yearn? Do we long for Him? Do we hunger and thirst for His presence? Do we have a thirsty soul? It absolutely terrifies me to find scripture where Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, and I will say to them, depart from me, accursed, for I do not know you. It terrifies me to read scripture like that. And to know that when he's saying, I don't know you, he's saying there's no relationship. There never was a thirsty soul. There never was a longing. There never was a yearning for my presence it might seem a little odd that i would teach a lesson like this especially after the services that we've been having but listen to me this morning our experiences our relationship with god can't just be a weekend thing but there has to be a pursuit on the outside of these walls and i preach you today don't compartmentalize him in your life that it's kind of what we do on the weekends it has to be more than that It has to be more. And you know, some might think, man, that's a lot of work, Bryce. It's just enough that I can come on a Sunday. It's just enough that I can be here on those times. It doesn't seem, it, it, that just seems like a lot of work, like a lot of attention. That doesn't seem like much freedom at all. Talk to me about the freedom that Habakkuk's walking in. He's praising God and full of joy. If, he, if he's eating steak, or he's eating bologna, or he's eating nothing at all, and he's praising God and enjoying life if business is good or business is bad it's an amazing freedom that these men have the Apostle Paul had to be the most frustrating human being alive that the uh, uh, the the most frustrating human being alive to any enemy of the gospel read his account that basically says all right we're gonna kill you and you know what he says you know what to die is gain like whoa okay maybe scratch that Uh, all right we're gonna let you live he says to live is Christ they're like, oh, man, oh, this is frustrating. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put we're going to we're just going to pelt you with rocks until you die. We're going to beat you in sticks and throw you onto the sea for a couple of days. And he says, sounds good to me because these present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's his He's basically saying, which ocean are we go into? And then what? So they finally, not knowing what to do with him, they throw him in a prison. And he just sings worship songs and converts all their guards. I mean, he's the most frustrating human being alive. And I would say then the most free. Isn't that the most free that anyone could get? The man who says, my life is not mine. It's in the hands of God. May God send blessings or curses. But may I know him. May I know him. And I think for the past six months or so, as our music comes, for the past six months or so, maybe longer, what I've been trying to accomplish is that the gospel isn't this, uh, you do this and this happens. That's, that's not, that's not the message. The message is, the gospel is, in the end, you get God. In the end, you get God. Church, that's what you get. And listen, He transcends all that we wrestle with. He is the goal. He is the pursuit. It's not, we do this, so this happens. Because honestly, Surely life has taught us that that's not the case. Surely life has taught us that that's not true. Like Moses. Moses is faithful. He's faithful to the Lord. And he leads this groaning, mumbling self-indulging group of people through the desert for 40 years he's going to lead them into the promised land and then he goes up on the mountain and God parts the clouds and there's the promised land and God says isn't it beautiful Moses And Moses is like, it is. It's milk. It's honey. It's beautiful. And then God goes, okay. You need to lay down here. Your time is up. You, Moses, don't get to go in. Now look at me right here. Because this is a painful reality about life. That I think as soon as we're okay with it, then we can truly begin to live. If I'm Moses, I'm thinking to myself, my part is the desert. That's That's my part. My part of the story, how, how, how you want to use my life, is for me to roam around the desert for 40 years. That's your role. And I think there might be some that might have come here this morning and said, Okay, I was, I was good, Bryce, until you said that. Because what if my role is the desert? What if that's my part? Think about Jeremiah. Every time he, te- he does what the Lord tells him, he gets beat up, thrown into a ditch. Or how about John the Baptist, who sends word to Jesus, saying, are you the one? Or should we expect another? And Jesus quotes Isaiah 60 to him, but leaves off the part about the prisoners being set free. So basically, he sends words to John the Baptist, says, I am the one. But John, you're going to die in that prison. And the list goes on. But the question is, what did these men get? I'll tell you what they got. They got God. And God was enough. Would you stand with me this morning? God transcends all that we wrestle with. God transcends all that we're afraid of. Have you ever thought about how odd it was that the disciples get beaten nearly to death and then they leave rejoicing? I mean, to get the skin <laughs> ripped off your back and to leave rejoicing that you were able to suffer. For the sake of Jesus Christ. I would say to you today that Jesus transcends. He transcends the beatings. He transcends the whips. Or how about Job who lost everything he had in a moment and he falls on the ground and he worships. Job had a thirsty soul. The disciples had a thirsty soul. Here's my fear and I end with this. My great fear is that you and I will get swept up in a wave of something that resembles what it means to follow Christ. But in the end, it's not Him at all. It's just a shadow. Where are the thirsty souls this morning? Where are those who won't be satisfied? Would you bow your head, and close your eyes this morning as they begin to sing?